Just thinking of that last song, why don't we pause for a word of prayer. Let's just bow our heads. Those words that stood out to me were, your love is all I need. I want you to think about that for a moment right now. Your love is all I need. And I imagine that there are many in this room who have other things that maybe you place above that in your life right now. And I just ask that you would think about that and and give those things to the Lord right now and confess by faith that His love is, is all you need. Tell Him that right now. Give Him the things that you've given a higher value to. Give those to Him. And then confess by faith, Lord, your love is all I need. Help me in my unbelief. Just spend a moment in prayer, asking the Lord to prepare your heart. Lord, what a precious truth. Your love is all I need. Lord, I know that if others in this room are like me, that's not always true for me. And that's why we're here today. We're here to meet with other believers and be encouraged. We're here to sing worship songs, often by faith, sometimes out of the depths of our heart. We're here to open up your word and learn from you and grow in the grace and knowledge of your dear son, Jesus So, Lord, all those things that have captured our attention more than you and more than your love, Lord, help us to release our grip on those things. And we pray that in this time, as we open up your word, that you would do a work in us and help us to grow in our love for you and help us to grow in our understanding that your love is truly all we need. So, Lord, we are grateful for all that you're going to do. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in our midst right now, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Tom, thank you for leading us this morning, and so good to see each one of you. On Thursday, I officially began my duties here as an, in an interim role, uh, to begin walking with you um, in the months ahead, and I want you to know I'm looking forward to that, and I want to ask you to be in prayer for me and the overseers other leaders as we are uh, trying to think about what are the most important first steps, uh, what do we move toward. I was making a list this past week, and I think I ended up with 19 things on the list. And I thought, okay, Lord, wisdom, wisdom right now is what is needed um, with this. And so I'm sure that list is going to grow. And if you were polled, you might add another dozen items to it. But just taking it a step at a time. So be in prayer uh, for us in the days ahead. Some of you know that I was in Uganda I think you prayed for me as a church. By the way, watch out. I see that people have moved away from the front row and over to the side. No telling what I'll do with this thing this week, but I'm going to try to keep it right here. But I know some of you were praying for me as I was in Uganda, and so grateful for that. And maybe at some point in time I can give you a full report of what took place there. But this was an incredible trip in that if you were to ask me before I left, Dave, what are your top five goals? What do you see God doing on this trip? I could have clearly laid those out for you, but if you, came, if you came up to me now and said, Dave, what would you think of the five top things that God did? It would be scrapping those five things that I thought and watching God do amazing things 
uh, while I was there. Not the way I anticipated, but just amazing to watch God do a work there. So thank you for your prayers. I'm grateful for that. I'm asking you a question right now, and it's for a reason. Um, anyone here visiting for the very first time? I mean, your very first time. So back here, vis- welcome. Not trying to draw attention to you in any uh, embarrassing kind of way, but I'm doing this for a reason. How about if you've been here two times? You've just been here two times. Okay, here's the deal. You are first-time visitor. This is only my third time here. And look at the topic that I've been given today. I'm the talk about us being family. And I thought to myself, that's odd. Why would they invite the new guy? So if you want to come up and talk about us being family right now, you might be able to contribute as much as I can to this. And so why would this new kid on the block be talking about this important topic? Well, this is what the Lord has established for us today. So that's what we're going to do. But it's because family's not based on my experience. It's not based on your experience. Your, your experience, my experience, contributes to what we understand about being the family of God. But where we get our directives from in this area is, is clearly from God's Word. And so any of us can open up God's Word and understand what He wants us to understand about this concept that we are a family of God. I love the concept of team. Team communicates a little bit more to me uh, when I think about all we are in Christ. But the concept of team, a group of people who are committed to one purpose and they go for it no matter what the cost. They're in the weight room, whatever it might mean, they're going for it. And one of my favorite ways to think about this, we're trying to see if this thing works, is the movie Glory Road. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Glory Road. And I don't know if you've ever even tried to understand the movie Glory Road in light of what actually happened. It's based on a true story. And anytime you have something based on a true story, I find myself wondering how much of it is true because there's the Hollywood freedom to create a story. And they create quite a story here. And when you get to the end of the movie, it's all about the emergence of, this, of the African Americans into, into college basketball. And the school, Texas Western, these are the guys right here, Way back, I mean, they were one of the first schools to be recruiting African-Americans, according to the movie. And they were, you know, a desperately losing team. And this new coach comes in, and, and he begins to put this team together. And they end up winning the national championship. But as the story comes to a conclusion, what happens is he's going to play against Kentucky and Adolph Rupp, one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. And Adolph Rupp refuses to recruit or play African-Americans. And he doesn't think that they can win. And so the coach of Texas Western, which is now Texas El Paso, decides that he's going to to start all African-Americans. And only African-Americans are going to play in the game to prove Rupp wrong and take down this powerhouse of a college um, basketball team. And they do. Now, there's a lot of debate over what actually happened and was that the coach's ultimate goal. I mean, the the team was actually not this, you know, completely cruddy team that invited all these guys in in one season, turned it around, won the national championship. So there's a lot of freedom. But one of the guys on the team did make it very clear. In In a book that he was quoted in, Coach Haskins before the game quoted Rupp that he had never played five black guys before and that five black guys would not beat his team. And we thought that Coach Haskins was just trying to hype us up, you know, and we weren't sure if he said that or not. 
just Coach Haskins talking. So there's a lot of myth behind what was going on here. But here's the point. You got the Caucasian players on that team, according to the movie, who gave it up so that they could make this point. That's a sacrifice. And that's what I love about team. That's what I love about everybody coming together and pursuing a common goal and trying to, to reach a, a particular outcome and everybody contributing what they can to what it's all about. Great sacrifice. Now think about that for a moment. How do we get there as a church? How do we get to that place where we're all in, everybody making the sacrifice, everybody contributing what they can to that ultimate goal because we're moving toward a goal that we have that God has set out for us. How do we do that even as family? That what, no matter what the cost kind of attitude, that we just lay it all down for the team and ultimately for our head, Jesus Christ. How do we destroy the kind of bickering that can take place? Different agendas that can be there and the, the divisions that can happen in relationships. How do we fight against, even in the midst of it, marriages that can fall apart? And people walk away from one another. And the relationships that can deteriorate. Now, no doubt, when we, when we begin even talking about this topic of the family of God, family and fellowship, no doubt there's pain in this room. Even through church experiences in the past where really hasn't worked out the way you thought church should be. You know, people say things like, the church is full of hypocrites. That's not the churches I'm a part of, but churches I'm a part of can be messy. And there can be problems, there can be difficulties with that. No doubt there's a lot of pain in this room, even when we walk into a topic like this. But one of the important reasons to pull up this document on a regular basis and think about what it means for us to be Redemption Hill is for all of us to reach, reach deep inside and once again recommit ourselves to some fundamental commitments that shape the decisions we make in this world and how we live and even how we function as a church. Can we be that kind of family and come together for a cause way bigger than ourselves so that we can see Christ proclaimed? Can we be in it together? Let me ask God to help us uh, with this topic. Lord, would you please help us? All that's going on inside of each one of us in this room, would you please help us with this this morning? Allow your word to be alive and powerful for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at a document, and you can see the, the purpose here. It's called the North Star Document. There's a purpose there. This is for us as a church, three campuses, one church, to glorify God in all things, at all costs, and among all peoples. Churches constantly wrestle with what a purpose statement should be and what a mission statement be. The Bible's not that complicated. I mean, it really isn't. Ultimately, when you boil the purpose down, it is going to be to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this is going to be all about. And so you can say that any way you want to. There's important words in this statement. In all things, everything... Things we say, think about, do, marriages, families, friendships, work, um, things we do for fun, sport, whatever it might be, at all costs, the concept of team again and among all peoples. It's not just right here, us four, no more. This is a moving outward until the ends of the world actually know what our mission or our purpose is all about. We also have a mission that's tied in with this. 
developing people who are shaped and driven by the gospel. And these aren't just empty words. Every one of us in this room who call ourselves followers of Christ, disciples, need to be committed to being the kind of people who are shaped and driven by the gospel. Decisions that we make, things that we do. Last night, for Joni's um, birthday celebration, we went to Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood concert. There's a lot of good about country music. but There's a lot of horrible stuff about country music, too. And I remember at one point in time, almost, and I feel it right now, I almost felt tears when he sang a certain song. That's just horrible. By the depths of hell, broken relationships, and the damage that it does. And people stood and gave a standing ovation for that message. And I thought, that's horrible. That is just horrible. We are to be shaped and driven by the gospel. You may be saying, now, why were you there? I may ask a good question. What does it mean to be in this world but not of it? And I think it's okay to be a Christian who enjoys country music and the stories that it tells, but then be repulsed when I find myself in that moment that there is nothing about this moment right here that is God-honoring. Nothing. Why? Because I can enjoy country music, but I've been shaped by the gospel, and that does not set well on my heart right now. And I don't have to get up and leave at that moment. But I don't want to become numb to that either. I want to have those kind of experiences in my life. Now, there are some core values. This is taking way too longer than I thought it was going to take. Those are the five core values. We're going through those things. We have a focus today. We are going to live as God's family. That's our focus for what we want to look at today. And there's more about what this document says. So you can see up here on the slide, on the, on the slide one of the key metaphors in the New Testament to describe the church is family. Family support, encourage, challenge, serve each other as they do life together. They are not merely voluntary associations. People who happen to share the same interests, joining or leaving according to their whim. I like that. I don't like that. I'm on my way. I'm going to find some other place to attend. They are organically connected with members bearing responsibility for each other, including the responsibility to bear with one another. Now, because of the breakdown in our culture in family... You just pick and choose, you leave, divorce, you just, whatever you want to do, you just abandon, walk away from. This begins to have an impact in the church, but organically connected. I mean, this, this is biblical um, concepts that we're wrestling with here, bearing with one another. Like all families, Redemption Hill Church is messy and in need of God's grace to thrive. So family, that's what we want to talk about today. But I want to stop right there. Because even as we look at this statement, there may be certain responses happening inside this room right now. Some of you are already struggling as you read this because perhaps your experience in God's family has not been positive. Maybe there's been a lot of negative experiences. Maybe you've got a trail of churches in your past and there's a lot of negative that goes along with that. And you're here this morning by faith just barely holding on hoping that maybe this place will be a little bit different. Or maybe you've had a taste of something here and you want to see that grow. You want to see more come out of it. But if so, if you've been one that's had these negative experiences, the challenge for you is to reach deep inside of yourself and to op- as we open up God's Word today, become what God's Word calls you to be to others, whether you experience that in return or not. In other words, you're going to give of yourself with tears in your eyes. 
but we've got to be obedient followers of Jesus. So you might be in that category. Others of you may have, may have no problem with this statement right here, but it's not because you're committed to it. It's because you really don't care about it. And so it doesn't really have that much of an impact on you. It's like whatever. Yeah, sure. I like it here. The donuts are good. Coffee's great. I like the way they sing. Sermons are all right. I mean, whatever it might be, but you're not really in it. And so the challenge for you this morning is going to be to deepen your understanding of what this means to be the family of God. What, what is this supposed to, how is this supposed to work out in your life? And you might need to become more intentional to the people who are seated in this room or not here today. And you might need to, to make very intentional steps of what you want to do to live this out. Still others of you, another type of response might be that you appreciate the rich language here. And you look at that and you say, that's why I'm at Redemption Hill. I know what it's like to be messy but still bear with one another. I love this church. I love God's church. I love what God is doing. And so the challenge for you is going to be to press on, to finish well, to continue down that path that you are on. So just think about where you're at when you look at this particular statement. Now, the, the document goes on and talks about know, feel, and do, and that we would know the significance and responsibility of being God's family. That's what we want to do with this, that we would feel deeply the desire to love and care for God's family well, and that we would willingly and regularly pri prioritize doing life together. This has become an important part of our life. Now, for us... We're going to be able to focus on this aspect right here, the knowing we would know the significance and responsibility of God's family. And my hope is, as we open up God's word, that that would lead to the feeling on your part. In other words, you would begin to own this more deeply. And as you own it more deeply, it actually translates itself into your everyday life in the way that you live and decisions that you make. The major problem with the language of this document, again, is the present generation's deterioration of family. And so it's hard for us to even to think about family sometimes. The, 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 the concept that we have of earthly family affects deeply the way we think about theological family. And so it's really important for us to think about that as well. But we want to at least bring a focus to this today. What can we know? And we want to ask the Holy Spirit to really teach us in this time. I also want to make one point that it's really difficult for the core values to be separated from one another. So as, as we, did, did I already have that back up there? I don't have that slide in there. Um, it's really difficult for the core values to be separated from one another. When we talk about us being family together, do you understand you're not going to be able to do that apart from what you talked about last week, partnering with the Holy Spirit? That's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to be a necessary part of that messy that family's going to experience or be informed by God's Word. You can't be family if you're not being informed by God's Word. It's got to be happening in our lives because we will encounter mess. Mission, what is it that brings us together so we can all put our arms around each other and just love each other, share holy kisses with one another? No, we come together because we're moving outward. Because we, we have, there, there's a reason why we come together. It's to be a part of what God is doing in this world. So it's important for us to think about how all of these core concepts uh, work together. So let's think first of all about Jesus redefines family. I want us to begin by looking at Luke 8. 
So in Luke 8, you've already been going through Luke, and so you've encountered this before. I wasn't a part of that message. I'm sure exactly what you did with it while you're here. But open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I hope you bring your Bible to church. I really do, especially young people. I, wanna, I want you, the young people to know, you know, how do you get up there and teach and blah, blah, blah. I've learned more about God's Word outside of school than I have ever in school. Now, school gave me a lot of uh, good tools, Bible college, three master's degrees, PhD degree, but that's not really where I've learned God's Word. I've learned it in just daily discipline of opening up God's Word and reading it, meditating on it. And so our Bibles are so important for us. So look what Luke 8 says in verses 19 through 21. So Jesus is growing in popularity as he moves throughout his mission before he goes back to the Father. Verse 19, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's a redefinition of family. Listen, blood family goes deep for us, doesn't it? I mean, we fight for our, our, our siblings. We, we would stand by our mom and dad. Now, there's a lot of complications. Sometimes you don't talk to your siblings for a while. But, you know, oftentimes this blood goes deep in family. And Jesus says, listen, there's something deeper than that. It's those who come together as disciples and do the will of the Father. That's my family. And I really think as, as strong as family might be for us or as weak, whatever it might be in your particular um, situation, as strong as that might be for us, we have got to grasp what Jesus is saying here. I love my mom and dad. I love my brothers. But when it comes to what really defines what it means to be family, it's those I gather with. It's those who do the will of the Father together. Ultimately, that's what family is. And so it's trying to move us toward a thinking about this. And so again, this is where all the core values, they have to be working together in this whole thing as we think about what it means to be a family. Uh, when I was in Uganda, uh, before I left, um, someone actually sent me a, an email and said, oh, I'm glad you're going there. There's a lot of relational tension down in that area. And so I already had this on my mind. I thought, well, that's interesting. We show up in this town called Bundabujo, and we find out that we've, our reservation in one hotel has been moved to another. And there's a reason for that. It's because the pastor that was hosting us was a part of one tribe, and our reservation was at the hotel of another tribe. And in the weeks leading up, there had been a, just tribal warfare. There are four tribes in the area. And they were warring. In fact, it got so bad that the president was brought in. And the president brought a military presence. And the military presence was still there maintaining peace in this area. And as soon as I found that out, when I came up to the guest house where we were staying, I told my host, I want to pull these pastors together. Because there's something that goes deeper than tribe. There's something that goes deeper than blood family. It's the fact that we've been bought by a price and we are in this together. And so we did. We brought all the pastors together. We had 50 pastors come together. And I boldly turned to Luke chapter 8. And I told them, I know you're a part of a tribe. I have no concept of what a tribe is all about. But I know what family is all about. 
And we're all here because of God's word. Let's look at what God's word said. What goes deeper than the tribe that you were a part of is the fact that you are one in Christ. And if you have a hard time right now looking across the room at another pastor in this room, because they're of a different tribe, and you are divided in your relationship, now is the time to get this right because you as church leaders are going to be what's going to bring these tribes together. Now, I'm in the middle of this presentation going, "Uh, Dave, you really don't know that much about the situation. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I should have thought about this maybe a little bit more ahead of time. But I just kept on going boldly for it. And then I stopped. And I thought, what's going to happen now? And it was so beautiful to see the Holy Spirit begin to work in that room and see those pastors become repentant and begin to desire reconciliation, begin to own the fact that they can lead the way in this unity that can be there in the body of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. There's something that goes deeper than a tribe. There's something that goes deeper than a family. We are in this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that now defines our relationships with one another. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you with those who profess, profess Jesus. The body of Christ is our deepest and our defining relationship for us. And so we are all born into a family, but now we've been reborn into a family. So behold your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family right here, is ultimately what Jesus is saying. And we need to be concerned that we're doing the will of God together as we pursue a common vision with this ultimate purpose. And that's going to take some growing pains, just like every family does. Every family goes through cycles. We had three boys in my family. You think we were all three unified at once? It was always two against one. Always. I mean, there was never a time it wasn't two against one unless we were against our parents together. That united us. But we've got to have all these growing pains that take place naturally in a family. Now, I want us to think make a shift right here to more of a body metaphor. There's a lot of different ways that this document could put what it is that brings us together. But turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we've got a lot of language about the fact that we are the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We're the body of Christ. And there's so many different ways that we can look at this. But body really brings out some important concepts that I think we need to own today as we think about what it means to be family. We do not grow individually. We're growing as a body. We are in it together ultimately and that's the point that first corinthians 12 through 14 is trying to make but let's let's focus in on some of these verses look at chapter 12 verse 4 here's a focus that we have just a little bit you can see here i think yeah right there is our focus in verse in verse 4 now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit notice the sameness same spirit there are varieties of service but the same lord There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. So there's this sameness out of which these manifestations come, and it's all for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit 
the utterance of wisdom, and to another, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another, working in miracles, to another, prophecy, to the, another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And so you're already getting this strong concept that there's a lot of differences that are taking place, a lot of manifestations, same Spirit, one Spirit. So there's a oneness that's in this whole thing. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it's just going to continue on and it's going to emphasize that oneness, the unity, but then also the diversity. And so we aren't clones of one another, are we? There's differences that we all bring to the table. So the first point that I think he strongly brings is this idea of unity. There is one body, but there are many members. It's going to be a different way of saying it, but it's always going to be the same concept that's going to be in our minds. We all have different gifting. So think about our family now with this body concept. We have different gifting in our family. We have different things that matter to us. We have different things that we feel called to. But we're all in this working together for a common goal. However we might be wired, your place in the body is to be felt. Is to be felt. And this is the concept that I came up with when I thought about this whole concept. It should be there. The body is to feel the impact and the benefit of another's presence. In other words, you can't be an invisible person in the body of Christ. The fact that you exist, the fact that this same and this one spirit has given these different manifestations... And we all have a different piece of that. The fact that we're in this together, whatever it is that is our particular manifestation, is to be felt. You understand that? It's to be felt by others. There's to be a benefit. The fact that you are in this body, in this family, there's to be a benefit that the other people feel as a result of that. It's one body, but there's many members in there to be mutually benefiting one another. I don't know if they still use this term at Biola's Chapel, but they used to have a term, slide and glide. Okay, so here's the concept. You've got to go to a certain number of chapels. So they got to keep a record of it. So you've got your card. You walk in the front door. You slide your card. I'm here. But then you keep moving toward another exit door. I'm gone. Slide and glide. It looked like I was in chapel, but I'm not. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, in churches oftentimes we have attend and pretend. I'm here, but I'm not really. Why? Because my, my presence is not going to be felt by others. I'm not going to give the benefit of who I am, the, the manifestation that's given to me by one and the same Spirit for the benefit of the body. I'm holding that back. I'm not going to give that. You will not experience my presence. You will not experience benefit from me being here. That goes contrary to what God's Word says. So as family and all the different members that we have, our presence is to be felt and there's to be a benefit from that. Now some of you may be thinking, what do I have to offer? It's not about you. It's about the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. 
that is to overflow into the lives of other people, and the family needs it. It can't go continue on without it. We've got to have this. We can't be attend and pretend. We've got to get all in to this. So the, we, we need to feel that impact and the benefit towards others. But the passage goes on and talks a little bit about diversity as well. In verses 20 to 27, is, by the way, in, in unity, I think the focus there is found in verses 14 through 20. And then the diversity in verses 20 to 27, you could actually go up through verse 31. But again, it's the same image. One body, there's many members and you got to be aware of that. But there's many members and you got to be aware of that, but there's one body. And so the, the, the passage is really trying to draw this strong point home. Let's just even pick that up in verse 12 and look at the unity then the diversity. For as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. Okay? If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet there is one body. We're all in this together is the point that's being made. There's a unified sense. But he also wants us to understand the diversified sense. Let's begin in verse 20 again. I think it's a hinge verse. As it is, there are many parts yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. It doesn't matter how little it is that you think you bring to the table. It's, it's, it's necessary part of the body. And it needs to be felt and experienced by people in the body. And on those parts, verse 23, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's that togetherness that we have the hard part with. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts, healing, helping, ministration, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the, the higher gifts. And I still show you a more excellent way. Now, don't get all caught up in all the different manifestations of the Spirit here. Well, what about tongues and what about miracles? Try to get the point. The picture is body, and we're trying to apply that to family. We're all in this together. There is a oneness. You can't say to someone in this room, I don't need you. And as a person in this room, you cannot say, well, I wish I was a hand. I mean, what good is a foot? It's all there. And it's all being directed by the same Spirit, the one Spirit. And we need to find contentment in what is we bring to the body, but we must feel the impact and the benefit of one another's presence. 
We are in it together. When I was preaching, see Bob Ladd sitting up there, and a couple, years, a couple weeks back when I was preaching, I saw him sitting up and I said, Bob Ladd. See, all these things that go on in your mind while you're preaching. I was just preaching away, and I, I was inside. I was thinking, Bob, there's Bob back there while I was making my point to you. Bob. So I thought to myself, i got to get in touch with Bob. So the next morning we had breakfast, and Bob just began to talk about, hey, Dave, I'm not on the front line of ministry anymore. Man, I've lost, you know, I'm, I'm old. You know, give me one of those stories. I said, Bob, listen, there's one reason why I wanted to get together with you, because I need you. I really need you. And I'm going to ask you, will you pray for me for the next six months? You see, Bob may not feel like he has the energy to be on the front line of ministry anymore, but you know what? I still need a Bob Ladd in my life. And I find the older people in the church the ones who really support and lift up ministries. I said, Bob, will you pray with me? And he said, yes, I will. You see, we're all in this together as we work together toward this ultimate goal, towards this process. We could go on to Ephesians chapter 4 as well. I mean, I wish we had time to to go there also. In Ephesians 4, it talks about this body growing together. Why? Toward maturity. And we've got to learn that we all got to work together, all the muscles and all the, you know, whatever else is in here, uh, uh, tendons and all those kind of things. They got to work together. You ever have your foot go to sleep and then you try to stand up and walk? How successful is that? It's not very successful, is it? It doesn't work. But you know what? The bottom line is we've got some sleeping feet in every body of Christ, don't we? There's always a sleeping foot somewhere. There's a torn ACL in this room somewhere. Body doesn't work too well with that. We got a concussion going on somewhere in here. That, that's that body image that we need to keep in mind. And the purpose of this body is ultimately for us to grow. And that's why we've got to forbear with one another. We've got to continue on. When I was in Uganda and I had that burden to get all the pastors together, I was far exceeding my budget already. I mean, this, this trip was costing me way more money than it was supposed to. And the, I said, we've got to get the pastors together. My host said, well, we've got to provide food for them. I was like, well, how much does that cost? Because I knew... I'm the white American. I'm the one paying for this thing. And so, so we finally find out it's going to be 150 bucks, three bucks a person, times 50, 150 bucks. And I said, let's do it. And here was my thinking. I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to do, being in Uganda. And I knew there were other people in the body of Christ who were doing what they were supposed to do, which was giving. And so all I did was just send it out. And I, I said in my update, I said, I did what I was supposed to do. Because I know that you're going to do what you're supposed to do. Someone's going to pay for this. Boom, someone paid for it immediately. Why? Because there's people in the body that they don't want to go to Uganda and teach. They're thinking, are you kidding me? But there are people in the body who have the gift of giving. And when all that comes together, it creates a synergy and it works so beautifully, doesn't it? And that's what we have to become comfortable with. It's, it's what we bring. We can't say, I wish I was something else, whatever it might be. But it's messy, and that's I love the document. It uses the word messy in it. It's messy when this happens. And I think about the, the uh, southern um, African-American preacher who said, you are the bride of Christ, and the bride is ugly. <laughs> like, is this supposed to be an encouraging sermon? <laughs> but think about how true that is. 
You are the bride of Christ, and the bride is ugly. It's messy. But you know what? That's what sanctification is all about, isn't it? We just continue to grow together. We continue to learn. We continue to be all that God wants us to be. And so the ultimate goal of all of this is when we get back to our purpose, why? Why strive together? Why not just go find a deserted island and forget people? Because it's to glorify God. And you want to know who's going to help you grow so you can glorify God more? It's to people in your family. Those who are speaking the truth to you in love. Oh, maybe they don't do it so lovingly. Well, they've got to grow too, don't they? It's all messy. We're all trying to grow in this thing. And we want to be shaped and driven by the gospel. The body is to feel this impact and the benefit of one another's presence. My wonderful wife is here. When we first got married, I had to teach her how to hug. Okay, people hug differently. You know, some people you have to suck in. When they, I mean, they just squeeze you to death. My wife used to give me the kind of hug. It was like, what was that? Uh, Joni, uh, hug, hug. So I used to say to her, hug me like you mean it. Hug, hug me like you mean it. Now, now, she can now. But I had to teach her how to hug. You ever get one of those hugs? Someone gives you the hug and it's like, oh, I'm not sure what just happened there. <laughs> but, but I didn't feel anything. You see, a a hug is supposed to be felt. And in the family of Christ, as we gather together, there are some who attend and pretend, and there are some who give that lifeless hug. And their presence and the benefit of who they are in the family is not being felt. And we've got to grow. All of us have to grow in certain areas. All of us are in that process And there's a lot of pain, I think, in family. Earthly families, spiritual families, a lot of pain. Because we haven't been loved, we haven't been cared for, we haven't received that hug, nobody acknowledges I'm here, that person stabbed me in the back. Is stuff like that going to happen in family? It is, because the bride is ugly. But we've got to grow in this together. We've got to hang in there. Because ultimately, there's a lot at stake. Just one last passage is John 13, 34 and 35. I preached a sermon on this back at Whittier Hills years ago. But look what it says in John 13, 34 and 35. I'll never forget when I preach it there. I, I used to preach often when Dale James was gone. And, and I remember as the week got closer, I thought, man, I, I need to have something more profound to speak on than love and i was really wrestling with that and then i thought no this is what i think god wants me to do dave you got to deal with all your garbage of more profound what do you mean by that and so i just zeroed in on this passage right here jesus says a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i also loved you you are also to love one another and here's the kicker in verse 35 by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another So ultimately, when we think about the importance of this particular topic, there's a lot riding on it. There's a lot riding on it. Can we as a church actually live out the gospel with one another? If we can't live out the gospel with one another, how can we proclaim it to a world who needs to hear? 
If the gospel can't so move in our hearts that it, affect, that it transforms and affects the way we live with one another and people are actually experiencing our presence and they're benefiting from it and there's a mutual benefit as we're all walking together and there's a growing up, we're speaking the truth to one another in love to a mature man, as Ephesians 4 says. Now how can we proclaim the gospel? And I personally believe this is a major reason why the church today is deficient in proclaiming the gospel is because we aren't manifesting the gospel in our own midst. Jesus says, let me tell you how the world's going to know. It's not going to be because you, you get the gospel a little clearer and you make your points a little more precise. It's because your marriages stay together. It's because father and son keep on talking to each other and keep on trying to work it out. It's because people in the church don't run from church to church to church. They continue to hang in there with one another. They continue to, to work toward the kind of oneness that the Bible talks about. There can be a lot of good reasons to leave a church. I, I would never just discount it all. I mean, ideally, never. In reality, yes. But people rarely leave for good reasons. The Bible, the biggest picture it gives us is we've got to continue to work together in this whole thing. That's the testimony of family. The world needs to see this. And so when we think about we are to live so others receive and feel the impact and benefit of our presence. So Redemption Hill, can we come together for a cause much larger than ourselves? Can we become the kind of people who truly want to work through all the messiness and realize when, when we say the bride is ugly, that includes us too. Each one of us as individuals. Because it's not just one body that's ugly. The individual members are ugly too. We're all in that process of growing. And so when you think about look around the room right now. This is your family. And maybe there's someone you can't look at in this room. Do you understand that's a problem? Not saying that you can handle that on your own. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some help walking through difficulties in your life. But it's all going to produce sanctification in us. And it's going to help us be all that God wants us to be. And as that begins to happen, the world's going to see our love. And it's going to be an attraction for them. You can't control what you receive from others. You can't make others in this room be family to you, but you can certainly be family to others. And as you be family to others, you're going to see that reciprocated through time. At least that's the goal. Does this body, is this body growing in what it means to receive and feel the impact and benefit of others' presence? Are we growing to a mature man? Are we bearing with one another? Let's all bow for a word of prayer. As you think about in your life, all we've done is the no part. I've tried to get at the feel part. Successfully or unsuccessfully, I don't know. But the do part is up to you. Just ask the Lord right now, what is it that you need to do? 
Lord, we love you. And we ask that you would help each one of us, if nothing else, just to commit ourselves to be in a body who loves so that the whole world can see that we are your disciples. If we do nothing else, just help us to commit to bear with one another for others to feel and benefit from our presence. Holy Spirit, do your work in us for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.